If you uh, have your Bible, Nehemiah chapter 4, Nehemiah chapter 4, while you're turning there, uh, the Unite concerts are Friday and Saturday. Friday, our team will be playing at uh, 7, and Saturday they'll be playing, opening up for the afters at, is it 5, Aaron? 5? Yeah. A little after 5, right around there. So if you can make it out to support them, that would be great. It's free. Absolutely. It doesn't cost you a thing. It's free. Friday night, there's free food. That's, we're going for dinner, aren't we? No, oh, good. 5 p.m. Better, nah, you got to get there early for the food, I'm sure, right? That's why I said 5 p.m. So you got to be, the food starts at 5. The concerts, the, our, our group's playing at 7. So if you come at 7, you might be a little hungry, so eat before. Or there might be plenty of leftovers, it's hard to say. Hey, uh, last week we started looking at Nehemiah, and I, I told you we're not teaching the entire book of Nehemiah. I just wanted to kind of cover a little bit here of sort of Nehemiah and his calling by the Lord. Uh, a lot of times you look at Nehemiah, you look at his, his leadership. There's some fantastic godly leadership traits and characteristics that Nehemiah displayed, displays uh, through the scriptures. But I just I wanted to kind of look more a little bit at his calling and just to kind of bring you up to speed or remind you, you know, Nehemiah was a, a, was a Jewish man. He was, was born in Babylon uh, during the time of the, towards the end of the Babylonian captivity. Uh, he had risen to the place of, or, the, or the, the, held the office of cupbearer for the king. And uh, what that meant was he was sat right next to the king and he would have tasted the king's drinks or wine and he would eat the king's food to make sure that it wasn't poison. So it means he had a good relationship with the king. Uh, he, had a, he probably had a pretty cushy job as long as, some, long as someone didn't try to poison the king. Everything was good for him. He got to eat the best foods, drink the best wines. Life was pretty good for him. It was a job that probably many people wanted. He had the king's ear, probably would have confided to him. So it was a, a pretty powerful position that he had. But being Jewish, he had gotten some information. He had gotten some word back from Judah. Remember when uh, when Judah was when Judah was conquered and and uh, Jerusalem was taken over? They wiped it out. They took the Jewish people back to Babylon to try to try to assimilate assimilate them into their culture. And uh, he got some word back, and he said, "Hey, some guys had come back from Jer- Judah and specifically Jerusalem." He said, "Hey, how is it there?" They said, "Nehemiah, it's bad." It's bad. The gates aren't hanging. The walls are crumbled. It's really, really bad. It's not a good thing going on there. And, we, and as we read the scriptures, we learned that Nehemiah's heart, it just broke. He was like, oh, my people. It just broke his heart to some place. It took him to a place where the scripture said he mourned for many days. And that morning, we realized it's a burden the Lord was putting on his heart for the people back in Jerusalem. And he began to mourn and he began to pray. He began to fast. He, it says he sat down, he wept, he waited on the Lord. And he, the prayer that he prayed was magnificent. He talked about the power of God, the faithfulness of God. There was repentance for the people and for himself in there. He remembered the promises of God and he just prayed. And then he sat for four months. Four months he just sat and prayed and fasted because he had a problem. He wanted to go back. He wanted to help his people in Jerusalem, but he couldn't just go to the king and say, you know, by the way, king, I quit. What do you mean you quit? Possibly he could have put him to death for quitting. You just can't quit. You hold a position too high. You've got too much information. You just can't leave. It's not, it's not, it's not possible. So he began to pray and he began to wait on the Lord. Lord, I, could just, I can just hear his prayer. Lord, I got this burden. I want to go back, but I can't. Will you make a way? Will you do something? But this burden began to grow heavier and heavier and heavier. It's not an, it's, you, know it's an, you know it's not an emotional thing when it stands the test of time. As it, as it continues, his burden continued. And finally one day he's before the king. And the king says, Nehemiah, what's wrong? I can see that you're sad. Not just, not just sad, but you're sad to the heart. There's something really wrong. And he goes, why shouldn't I be sad? My people's land is laying in disrepair. There's, there, it's laying over there. My father, it's where my fathers are buried. 
The king says, well, what do you want, Nehemiah? He goes, I want to go back and rebuild it. I want to go back. That's a pretty lofty goal, don't you think, for a city that's laying in ruins? I want to go back. But he had a plan. And the king said, go back. He said, but king, I need some papers. I need, I need some papers to get some lumber. I need some papers for safe passage. And, and, I'm, I'm gonna, and he gave the king a time for him. I'll be back at a certain time. Then he came in and he, he, he went like he, like he said he would. He traveled 800 miles back to Jerusalem. He's walking in the Lord's will. This is what God has for me. Now, I just want you to consider something. There's a, there's a, people sometimes believe if I go do what God calls me to do, everything's going to go smoothly. Everything's going to go, you know, God's just going to meet me. He's going to make this. Everything's just going to go perfectly smooth without any bumps in the road whatsoever. Can I just tell you that's not true? That's not true at all. And, and just because there's bumps, just because there's opposition coming, you should know that if you're doing something great for the Lord, you should expect great opposition. If you're doing something little for the Lord on your very first step of faith, you should expect great opposition because there's an enemy that wants to keep you from doing what God called you to do. So Nehemiah gets back, he comes into Jerusalem, and as he rolls into town, you know what he does? Nothing for three days. Just nothing. You'd think he would have come with an army and he, he had soldiers with him. You'd think he would have said, this is what we're going to do. He doesn't do a thing. Just waits for three days. Just hangs out for three days. And then one night probably not able to sleep. He gets up in the middle of the night and he walks around the city of Jerusalem, rides a donkey or whatever he's riding around the walls, just surveying the land, what's going on. And he sees stones broken down. He sees gates collapsed. He sees nothing but a big mess. And I believe it was a time of prayer for him. We're going to see that Nehemiah was a man of prayer. He was a man of planning. He was a man of purpose. And he's, he's praying to the Lord. And finally he says, I'm going to go. I'm going to confront the city leaders. I'm going to go talk to him. And he does. He says, he tells him, you see the distress that we are in. Jerusalem lies in waste. Its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the walls of Jerusalem so that we won't be a reproach anymore to our God. Let's, let's build this back up. And, the, and the, the leaders could have said, you're crazy. Ezra's already tried. Zerubbabel's already here. It's already, we tried this a while back and it failed, Nehemiah. This has been tried before. But they don't. They get behind and they say, let us rise up and build. And they begin building. And as you came into chapter 3, we didn't read it, but you see family after family building the walls, hanging the gates, building the walls, shoulder to shoulder, hanging the gates, building the walls, hanging the gates. And I can imagine as Nehemiah sits back, he surveys the land and goes, wow, look what God's doing. It's incredible. The king let me go. Here I am. We've got the lumber. We're hanging the gates. We're building the walls. Everything is going perfectly according to plan. Well, if you take a step of faith, if you choose to follow the Lord, don't be surprised when opposition comes your way. And can I just let you know that opposition usually comes from two places, from outside and inside. That means it comes from everywhere. It comes from outside of the people you're working with, your family, but it can also come from inside of the organization or the family that you're working with. In Nehemiah's case, it's going to come from both places. But I want you to see, as we look, begin in chapter 4, exactly how he deals with this opposition. This, we're going to start off with some external opposition. Verse, chapter 4, verse 1 of Nehemiah. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. Now, you should also expect that if you're doing something, from the, something for the Lord, there's going to be mocking that happens. People are going to make fun of you. They're going to tell you that you can't do it. They're going to tell you that you don't have the education. You don't have the ability. Sometimes that, in this case, it's coming from the outside, but sometimes that can happen from the inside. 
Sometimes it can be a wife doing it to a husband, or a husband doing it to a wife, or a mother doing it to a child, or a child doing it to perhaps a parent. Sometimes it can be very, very close to home. Other times it's outwardly, it's outside of the camp, so to speak. In this case, it's Sanballat. He's making fun of them. He's angry at them. He's very indignant. Look what he says in verse 2. He spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Feeble Jews. They're weaklings. Will they fortify themselves? Are you serious? They're going to do it, in other words? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Look at them all out there working. This is ridiculous. Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? In other words, are they really, are they, you really think they're going to do, are you kidding me? You think they're going to stack these stones back up? And you think they're going to build this? Are you, this is some kind of joke. Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yeah, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. So here's the, here's the picture here. Here's these kings that are around them in, in the areas surrounding where, where Nehemiah is working. And, and you got one saying, what are you, is this some kind of joke? You think you're going to build it all in a day? We, we could come over there and wipe you out. What, what's wrong with you? Then you got like the little guy. You know, Even if a fox walks on the wall, it's going to fall down. Remember the cartoon with the big dog and the little dog? That's kind of what it reminds me of. Spike, and then he slaps him, and he goes sliding. He goes back, bar, 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 again. That's what it's like. That's what it sounds like to me. Even if a fox goes on, he's going to fall down. <laughs> Foxes don't knock over rock walls. But you see the opposition. You see that they're being mocked. You see that they're not happy about it. And then I love, I love Nehemiah's response. Verse 4, it doesn't even tell us. What does he start doing? He starts praying. Praying. There's, a, there's something here. When you're doing something for the Lord and opposition begins to happen, the first response should be a response of prayer. And look what he prays. Hear, oh, our God, for we are despised. Lord, they don't like us. Turn their reproach on their own heads. Give it back to them. Give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Give them what they've got coming, Lord. Do not cover their sin or their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for before they provoked you to anger, before the builders. And it says, verse 6, so we built the wall. And the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. Sometimes people take a step of faith. They begin doing the Lord's work. The opposition comes. They begin mocking. They begin ridiculing. And you know what they do? They believe what the enemy has to say. Oh, maybe you're right. Maybe we are feeble. Yeah, you're right. I'm not educated enough. Yeah, I, don't, I, I can't do that in my own strength. Yeah, you're, you're right. I, I can't possibly. Maybe, we, look, guys, let's just quit. Everybody just go on back home. It's, it's, it's too hard. But what did they do? In, the spite of this op- in spite of this opposition, they prayed and they built They prayed and they kept going. They didn't stop. They didn't quit. They prayed and they kept going. And they had half the wall built, joined together. How did it work? How did it happen? Because the people had a mind to work. Let me just say that if you ever make the decision to take a step of faith and step out in anything for the Lord, I don't care whether it's a missionary or whether it's something small, like I'm just going to volunteer for something at the church, you need to have a mind to work. Ministry should not be easy and there is no room for laziness in ministry. Ministry should be the hardest job somebody ever has. I can tell you that I've worked harder as a pastor than I ever worked as a police officer, as a detective, or as a special agent. I work more hours, more time invested, less sleep at night because I'm up praying than I ever did working major cases back before I became a pastor. 
If you're going to get in ministry, if you're going to take a step, if you want to do something for the Lord, you better do it with a mind to work. It is something that is necessary. Opposition will come. People will say things. Your family will say things. They're going to tell you you can't do it. You're not qualified. We know who you really are. All kinds of things are going to be whispered and said about you. But you just keep working. You just keep serving. You pray and you just keep doing what the Lord called you to do. That's what, he, that's what we see happening here. And look what happens. I have a little note in my Bible. If you want to accomplish God's will, you must have a mind to work. Something to write there. Look what happens in verse 7. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the Ashrodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to do what? To come and attack Jerusalem and do what? Create confusion. The people surrounding Jerusalem, they're mad. They're angry. We're going to attack them, but we're also going to do something. What else did they say? Create confusion. God is not the author of confusion. When there is confusion in the camp, you can be certain it is not from the Lord. The enemy here wants to try to attack them. He wants to try to intimidate them. He wants to try to scare them. And he wants to try to confuse them. Now, I can tell you personally, I have watched people begin to take steps of faith for the Lord. They take a step and they start to follow. And then there becomes confusion in what they're doing. There becomes an enemy. Maybe somebody's saying something. You can't do it. They begin to keep confused. They start to say, well, did I really hear from the Lord? Is this something the Lord really wants me to do? Is this, well, maybe, and they begin to believe the lies of this. And they begin to get this confused heart. Am I doing it the right way? Maybe I should do it this way. I don't know which way to go. I'm not sure. What, you know, do I go this way or that way? Or, or how do I do this? What's the next step? And this confusion sometimes sets in someone's heart. Man, you ever been confused? It's a terrible place to be, isn't it? It's terrible. It's, it's, a, it's, it's so disorienting that you don't even know. I don't know what to do next. What do you want? I just want to go back to bed and go to sleep. I just want to go sit down and do nothing. The enemy wins. The enemy wins. You're confused. Congratulations. The enemy has conquered that moment in time. Well, what do I do in a state of confusion? I'm not sure what, how to happen. Look at verse 9. What do I do, Rob? I'm, that's me. I'm confused. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. What do we do in a state of confusion? We pray. I like Nehemiah. He's always praying. He's always going to the Lord in prayer. The burden happened, he went pray. Waiting on the king, he prayed. When the enemy started, to, when they started to, the external opposition started, he prayed. Here he is again now. Confusion is setting in. We're going to pray. We're going to pray, 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 pray. We made our prayer to our God. But that wasn't it. That wasn't all he did. Look what he did. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. In other words, we have confusion happening. We're going to pray, but we're also going to prepare. There's prayer and preparation. Well, what are you preparing for? I'm preparing for the attack of the enemy because that might be, be the very thing that happens. I'm preparing. We're going to set a watch day and night. Now, understand something. I'm telling you that if you take a step in faith, there's going to be an attack from the enemy. You better prepare a watch day and night. Because the worst place that you can be, the worst place that you can understand, is not knowing who the enemy is. 
When you take a step of faith, the enemy, you, we, we think, oh, it's my husband or it's my wife, it's my kids, it's my family, it's my church, it's my, pe- it's my friends. The, no, those aren't the enemies. The enemy is the one that's fighting in the spiritual realm. The enemy is the one that wants to see whatever you took a step of faith to do and no matter how great or how small it is. If he can wipe out that very first little step of faith, you're done. You'll never take another one. I'm not doing that again. The hot water heater blew up. I tried to serve Sunday school one Sunday. The hot water heater blew up. The, the, the stairs collapsed and everything else happened at home. I'm not doing that again. No, that, no you, you, you keep serving. You keep going. You keep working. Let the Lord show himself strong. Let him be the one that holds you through this. So we got prayer and preparation happening. They made their prayer and they set watch. And you think, all right, we're there. We got half the wall built. We got these guys. And you know what else is, you know what else, you know what else starts with confusion? Let me just back up just a second. What was the confusion part? They told them they were going to attack them, didn't they? We're going to come after them. That they could, they were going to, they were angry. They conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem. Word's going to get back to them. They're going to come and attack. I just want you to know something, that part of the confusion sometimes is you worried about what you hear from other people. You, I want to show you, they never attacked Jerusalem. But yet the people are worried about them attacking Jerusalem. But the attack never comes. But they prepared for the attack. They set watch. Well, because they're strong, because they're not succumbing to the attack from the outside, then you know what comes next? The attack on the inside. Look at verse 10. Then Judah. Judah was the strong tribe. Judah was the one, one of the hardest workers. Then Judah said, the strength of our labors is failing. And there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, we will never, neither know nor see anything till they come in their midst and kill them and cause this work to cease. So now we have internal opposition. You have the tribe of Judah going, we're tired. We're tired. Half the wall's built. We're worn out. We can't go anymore. And look at all this rubbish, Nehemiah. Look at all the junk. All this, this wall was knocked over and it was burned. Nebuchadnezzar leveled everything. Look at all this stuff. We're never going to get to the end of this. And by the way, we heard our, our enemies. They're coming after us. They're going to attack us. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna destroy us. Do you see how the enemy works here? You see, it's, it's sometimes it's, it's coming from the outside. Now you have Judah, one of the strongest tribes, being looked at going, we're tired, we, can't, we don't know if we can keep going. I'm not sure if I can make it anymore. I look around at the job to be done, it's just too big, I can't, I can't handle it. And we're hearing these rumors that sand ballots coming after us. They said we're not going to know when they're coming and they're going to come attack us. They're going to cause the wall to cease. Verse 12, so it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came and they told us 10 times from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Now what's happening is, is that there's Jews living on these outside, outlying areas of Jerusalem. So they're hearing these plans about the attack. And ten times they came. Hey, Nehemiah, guess what? They're going to come. I know. No, no, they're going to come again. No, they're going to, here they come. They're going to come. And you're not even going to know. They're going to come on you so quick. You're not even going to know where. I know. What, I can just imagine Nehemiah. Stop telling me this. I understand it already. But yet they're telling them, they're feeding them the information. And now with this information, they're getting all worked up over it. We're scared. We're worried. The attack never comes. I wonder how many plans of the Lord have been thwarted by fear of something that never happens. How many of you worried about something and lost sleep over something that never occurs? 
How many times have you found yourself going, I can't sleep, I'm, I'm so nervous, I'm so anxious, I can't, there's something inside of me that's binding me up, and it never happens. Wow. You can just imagine Nehemiah here. You know what Nehemiah does? He plans. Look at verse 13. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, their bows. I looked and arose and said to the nobles, the leaders, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. Fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Nehemiah, what do we do? We're scared about the enemies. There's too much work and we're tired. And Nehemiah says, let's deal with it one thing at a time. Number one, he plans for the attack. He sets people in place. He, he puts men in the gaps. He makes sure they're standing there. He talks to the nobles. He gets the leaders together and to the, the, to the rest of the people. He does something extremely important here. Here they are in a place where the opposition is coming internally. You know, they're, they're tired, they're worn out, they can't go. There's fear from the external attack. The job looks too big. And what does Nehemiah do? He tells you right there, remember the Lord. Great and awesome. He says, you guys, get your focus off the enemy. Get your focus off the job. Get your focus off yourself being so tired. And remember who God is. Get your focus on him. Let him handle all this stuff. Let him take care of the enemy. Let him strengthen you. Let him provide you with the strength that you need. He'll, he'll handle it. Let him do it. Listen, guys, if you find yourself in a situation where you're in opposition, especially from the inside, whether it be in a church or whether it be even within your family sometimes, remember to focus on the thing that you know is true. Get your focus off of what you don't know to be true. Get your focus off of the attacker. Get your focus on the Lord. Remember who he is. And he tells them, great and awesome. Then he encourages them. He says, fight. Fight. I want you to fight for your brethren. Fight for your brothers. Fight for your sister, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your houses. This is your land. You need to stand up and fight for it. He refocuses them. And then he says, go do it. I love that. That is, a, that is an area of scripture that you need to highlight and underline. And remember, the next time you find yourself anxious or confused or worried, you need to get your focus off of your problem, get it back on the Lord, and then go fight. Go do. Keep working. Do what he calls you to do. Well, the enemies, they hear about all this. They have plans to attack. Word gets back to them. Hey, Nehemiah's prepared. He's got people standing by waiting. Look what it says in verse 15. It happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing. So the people that were telling them, oh, they kept telling them over and over and over again. It was probably frustrating the people of Jerusalem, but to, word gets back that they know, and the guys, the enemies go, oh, they already know. How can we attack if they know we're coming? They're prepared. They're standing there on the wall waiting for us. God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall everyone to his work no fight no no war no attack verse 16 so it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears the shields the bows and wore armor 
and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. You see, Nehemiah says, okay, guys, we're going to make sure this doesn't happen again. Half of you guys, you're going to go to work. The other half are going to stand guard. When this, side, when this half takes a break, this half will work, and you'll stand guard. We're going to rotate back and through, back and forth, back and forth. Verse 17, those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. In other words, the idea is, I have a sword and a trowel. I have a sword for defense. I have a trowel to lay the wall. I'm working both. Charles Spurgeon had a magazine called The Sword and the Trowel. This is where it comes from. This is where it came from. The idea is we are working to serve the Lord, but we are also prepared to do battle for God as well. If you're going to come against the work that God is doing, I'm willing to fight for that work, and I'm going to defend my families. I'm going to defend my land. I'm going to defend these things for you. You can't come in here. You're an enemy. You are not allowed to come past this wall as I build it. And if you're going to challenge us, I got a guy standing behind me. He's going to blow a trumpet, and all my friends are going to come help me to make sure you don't get in here. Look what it says. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we're separated far from one another on the wall. Whether you hear the sound, when, when, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. You see, they're, they're imploring the power and the strength of men, but they're recognizing the one doing the real work is God. Yes, I'm going to blow the trumpet. We're going to gather, but it's going to be God that's fighting for us. It's going to be God. We're doing God's work so we can trust that God's fighting for us. What an amazing picture we see there. Our God will fight for us. Verse 21, so we labored. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem. Don't even go home, in other words. They may be our guard by night and working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. The idea is there is a project that God's working on, and it must get done. We're not even going to take, we're not, we're not even sleeping. We're just, getting, we're just sleeping as much as we need, and we're going right back to work again. We are, we are busy at work here. There's something taking place. Um, you guys can't go home, those of you who don't have houses here yet. You're going to stay here and work. And the men are working. A sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. What a beautiful picture of a servant of God, a sword and a trowel. Ready to fight and defend, but also ready to do God's work piece by piece. Even what looks impossible, the Lord will strengthen them to build the wall. It's a good thing Donald Trump doesn't know about this scripture, right? He'd be building that wall or something. Sorry, my mind, I shouldn't have said that. My mind went out there again. Verse 5, more internal opposition, or chapter 5 rather. And there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. For there were those who said, we, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live there were also some who said, we have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. There were also those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is at the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children, and 
Indeed, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. It is not in our power to redeem them, for others have made our lands and vineyards. So the idea of what's taking place, there's a famine happening in the land. Are you kidding me? I thought when you followed God, everything was good. We should have plenty of food. There's a food problem. There's, not a, there's, there's a food source. Where not, there's not as much to eat. People are, people, there, there's money not being made. Vineyards are being confiscated. Kids are being sold into slavery to try to buy food. All this is happening among the Jews. It's all happening among the same people. And it's brought to Nehemiah's attention. This is, they're coming and they're saying, what are we doing here? And look what Nehemiah does in verse 6. And I became very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. Nehemiah, what do we do? And Nehemiah becomes angered. I can't, in other words, what he's mad about? I can't believe you're treating each other this way. I can't believe you're handling it this way. I, 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 he's, he's the leader of the people who's now angry at the people. Now that's a dangerous place to be. As a leader of people, if you become angry at the people, now that might be, it might, they might be literally truly doing something wrong. But that's a very, very dangerous place to be because if you react in emotion... That's going to be a bad reaction. Look what Nehemiah does. Verse 7, after serious thought. I like that. After serious thought. In other words, he's appalled at what they're, how they're treating each other. He's appalled that one is doing this to the other. But then he says, after serious thought. Listen, before there's, and he's going to rebuke them in just a moment. But before there's ever a rebuke, there has to be serious thought. There has to be prayer. If you're a person who responds out of emotion, that is a bad place to be. There needs to be thought before you speak. Most of the time, the serious thought comes after we speak. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. No, no. Try giving some thought before you speak. James would say, be slow to speak. Think about it before you say it. How, what effect is what I'm about to say to this person? How is it going to affect them? I might try to make a joke because I think it's funny and I want the guy next to me to laugh, but it might seriously offend the guy I'm talking about. Should I really say it? If I would consider it and go, you know, that's probably not a good idea. But if I say it, if I don't give it thought, if I just, it's an emotional response, I make the joke because I want to try to look cool or whatever and I get to laugh, but I just hurt somebody. I responded out of emotion or out of pride or wanting to puff myself up in some way. I love this, how the frustration of him. In other words, I can understand where he's coming from. Why are you people treating each other this way? But he thinks about it. And I'm going to add something. Scripture doesn't say it, but I know Nehemiah. I think he prayed about it too. I think serious thought considered seri included serious prayer. I think he gave it serious thought and serious prayer. And then look what happens. I rebuked the nobles and the rulers. I rebuked the people in charge. The people in charge, I rebuked them and said to them, each of you is exacting usury. In other words, you're charging interest to your brothers. So I called a great assembly against them. I rebuked the leaders and I called the people together. And I said to them in verse 8, according to, your, to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. In other words, we've gone out, we're bringing brethren, Jewish brethren home. Now indeed, will you even sell your brethren or your brothers? Or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced and they found nothing to say. In other words, Nehemiah said, guys, we're trying to bring everybody home. We're trying to bring our country back together, the Jewish people back together. And you guys are buying and selling each other. They had nothing to say. Are you crazy? What's wrong with you? And they were, it says they were silenced. They had nothing to say. They found nothing to say. Verse 9, then I said, what are you doing? 
or what you are doing is not good, should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? In other words, aren't you considering what God thinks about what you're doing? If you're going to take a step of faith and you're going to follow the Lord, you're going to find yourself in opposition. After serious thought, if you have to give a rebuke, one of the things that Nehemiah is saying, what does God think about what you're doing? How does God see it? How does God see how the behavior is happening? That's something for us all to consider. If you have to rebuke someone, if you have to, maybe you're the one that receives it, you need to consider, what does God think about what I do, or I say, or how I act, or how I behaved, or whatever it is? What does God think about that? That's what he's saying. Verse 10, I also with my, I also, with my brethren and my servants am lending them money and grain. Please let us stop this usury, charging them interest. Verse 11, restore now to them, even this day. In other words, give them back their land that you've taken. Give them back their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses. Also a hundredth of the money and the grain, the new wine, the oil that you have charged them. So they said, we will restore it. The response was, we'll do it. We're going to restore it, Nehemiah. We'll, we'll do it. We'll restore it. And we'll require nothing from them. We'll do as you say. And I like this. Nehemiah says, then I, then I called the priest and required an oath from them that they would do according to this promise. In other words, Nehemiah goes, all right, get the priest in here. We want to make them swear to it. We want to make sure they're, they're not just t- saying this. We want to make sure this is real. We're going to call the priest. We're going to make them, make them swear to it before the Lord. They're going to have to say this before the Lord that they will do this. And then verse 13, Nehemiah shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out each man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. Yes, Nehemiah, you're right. Amen. And praised the Lord. And the people did according to the promise. Nehemiah took an internal division and he brought them back together by focusing them back on the Lord. That's what happened here. The people were at one another. Nehemiah got their focus off of each other, off of them being wronged, off of the one doing the wrong, and said, how does the Lord see this? He got their focus back on the Lord. Isn't that our problem most of the time? We get our focus off God. You know, when life starts to get crazy, when things start to break at home and problems start to mount up and the things start to build up and there's health issues and there's mother-in-law or father-in-law issues and parents' issues and kid issues and it all begins to start piling up around us. How quickly do we get our focus off of the Lord and onto the thing that's before us? How quickly does that happen? It's almost instantaneous. I know, I've been there. It's like, you know, you can be praising the Lord one thing, and the next minute it's like, Lord, what's going on? Where are you? Where'd you leave me? Are you still here? Do you still love me? Are you still there? But we can get our eyes off of him so quickly. In fact, many times throughout our week, we do. We take our eyes off of him. As Christians, we need to learn when our eyes are off of him and on our circumstances, because until we realize that, we can't get back. How long do we spend in anxiety and fear and worry not knowing what's going on? We look around and go, Lord, all this stuff, my life is falling apart. And he goes, no, it's not. I'm just putting it together. But I need to get you over yourself first. I need to let this happen so that you can see what I really want to do with you. Lord, I can't take it anymore. I'm weak. Good. Now you can see my strength work. Well, Rob, I thought if I just followed Jesus, everything would be great. Nehemiah had a pretty good life as a cupbearer, didn't he? Do you think if you'd have come to him right now, said Nehemiah, should you have stayed a cupbearer? Or do you think you made the right choice? What do you think he would say? I made the right choice. Why? 
Look what God's doing. Look what I have got to witness God do. Has it been hard? You betcha. Probably the hardest thing he'd ever done in his life. But I am watching the walls of Jerusalem be rebuilt. I am watching my brethren with a sword in one hand and a trowel in another. I am just putting back the pieces when they fall apart. The Lord's given me the wisdom as I pray to him and seek on what to say and how to lead them back to him. I don't think Nehemiah would have said, yeah, I'll go back to tasting wine and food. I think he's got a purpose in life that is, it's, it's unbelievable. It's magnificent. It's glorious. It's majestic on what he's able to do. He's recorded throughout history as rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem at this time and leading the people in a godly way. They're going to find the scrolls in a little while. Ezra's going to start reading the Bible, reading the scriptures to them. There's going to be an amazing thing that happens. So what does that mean for us? What can we take away from this? Know that whenever you say, yes, I'm going to follow the Lord, there's going to be opposition. That opposition will come from the outside, but it may also come from the inside. Matter of fact, it might come from both. It'll come from places you least expect it. It'll come from people that should be getting along. It'll come from things that you go, I can't, I never thought that they would be the one. I never thought it would come from that person. You know, there's something amazing that happens in a heart when you watch somebody that you love and you care for, and you know at that moment they're being used by the enemy to try to divide what the Lord's doing. It's something that happens in your heart. I've seen it happen a few times. I'm like, oh, Lord, just please make it, make it known. Make it known to them. They don't even realize they're being used right now. They don't even know that they're causing division. They don't even know that they're sowing seeds of discord. They don't even know these things. Make it known to them. But when you can make it known, and their eyes open up to it, there's some glorious reconnecting that happens that says, wow, we're still together. We're still in this together. That's exactly what's happening here as they're celebrating this, as he brings them back together. Get the priest, let's make a promise. Okay, we're still with you, Nehemiah. Let's go, let's keep building. Let's keep going. This isn't the last of the opposition he'll see, but it's the last we're gonna have time to talk about tonight. There's gonna be another conspiracy in chapter six about Nehemiah. And the captives are gonna soon start coming back. Ezra's gonna, they're gonna find the scrolls. Ezra's gonna call them together and begin simply reading the scriptures. It's gonna have a powerful impact on their lives. Uh, If you've never read through the book of Nehemiah, you've got a good basis for starting. Continue on in your daily devotion and see what God does through Nehemiah as he brings these men and women back to Jerusalem. He promised to bring them back if they would turn away from their sins, and they did, and he is fulfilling his promise as he brings them back. Now, on a personal level, we'll close with this thought. Where are you with the Lord? Has your focus been on him, or has your focus been on all the stuff going on around in your life? All the unknown, all the uncertainty, all the things that are maybe bugging you or bothering you. Is it where everything's breaking, whatever it might be? Where's your focus at? You see, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to give you guys two or three minutes. Aaron will play some soft, quiet music, and I'm going to give you guys a few minutes to go before the Lord in prayer. Because if your focus has been off, there's no greater place. You're, you're still saved. It's not a matter of salvation. But there's no greater place to be able to take that focus, that hope. He, he's our living hope. We sang that song and put it back on him and say, Lord, here I am. Thank you for opening my eyes to what I've been worrying about, what I've been thinking about, what I've been so concerned about. Thank you, Lord. And then you can put your focus back on him, your creator. So I'm going to pray. And then you just take two or three minutes. Go before the Lord on your own quietly and just seek him. And what he might want to do in your heart. And let me encourage you that if your focus has been on everything else, go back to him. Just reset it. Reconnect your heart with his. Lord, forgive me. That's all you have to say. Forgive me. And he does. That's the amazing thing. He does. 
And he'll restore that relationship instantly with you. Lord, we just come before you. Lord, as we look at Nehemiah, we see a man that you've used for a mighty work. And none of us will ever do anything as magnificent as Nehemiah. But Lord, you call each of us to our own work, no matter how big or how small. And with that calling comes opposition, both internal and external. Lord, there comes distractions. There comes confusion. There comes enemies. Lord, I just ask now that if we've been confused, you'd give us clarity. If we've been distracted, we would put our focus back on you. Lord, as we seek you, as we open our heart to allow you to search inside, have your way in there, Lord. There's something we need to do to change. Or maybe we make that change tonight before you. Search our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.